0: Our second reading for today comes to us from the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Christians in Corinth. But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, as we conclude our In Christ Alone sermon series, we return to, the, to the Paul's letter to the Corinthians, that first letter, where he identifies many major problems. And if we kept going in Corinthians, we would see them. We would see conversation about sexual immorality, a debate over lawsuits against fellow Christians, and a controversy over food offered to idols. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, what we just heard, Paul's first concern is very different, and it prevents him from, in his own words, offering anything more than spiritual milk to the Corinthians. So, let's hear that concern from verse 3 even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? The problem that Paul presents here is that the Corinthians are fleshy Christians, which is a contradiction in terms, you might say, and it manifests in jealousy and in strife. This jealousy and strife problem, which is, which is here among the Corinthians, I think would surprise many of us, because while we certainly see strife in our culture, and we occasionally might think about that strife popping up here and there in the church to say it's a major problem here today, well, it just wouldn't seem to fit. And jealousy. Well, jealousy, what what do we have to be jealous of, you might ask? This one is far less obvious. And as I read through 1 Corinthians, I began to wonder if the problem, the reason that this doesn't sound like it fits us or hits us in any way, is that maybe we need a different word than jealousy. Now. When we think about jealousy, does it describe what Paul is talking about today? I follow Apollos, I say, and you respond, well, I follow Paul. Does that sound like jealousy to you? Because to me, it sounds like pride. I'm proud of what I have, and you are proud of what you have. You don't want what I have, and I don't want what you have. That's the opposite of jealousy, isn't it? So, as I dug in and wondered about this, I looked at the Greek, and the word here is zelos, which sounds like jealousy, right? Zelos. And it can be translated jealousy. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I found its other common meaning, its second common meaning, I found that the passage made a whole lot more sense. And it began to become not only more sensible, but more relevant to us today, What's that other meaning? It's zeal. Zeal. Now, since zeal is not a terribly common word, let's look at the dictionary. It says, zeal means great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. If the Corinthians have a zeal problem, if they're too zealous… Well, then they have too much energy in pursuit of a cause, their cause. And this is causing strife and division, anger and disagreement among them. And that does seem to fit all that we've heard so far in Corinthians. I follow Paul. No, I follow Apollos. Take my cause, take my side in this argument. And depending on your perspective, Either this makes good sense for why it's relevant to us today and not just to the text of Corinthians, or it's a letdown. And I could see you saying that as well. Pastor, great energy and zeal in pursuit of a cause, that's not a problem in the church today. Man, we don't have zeal at all with declining church attendance and struggles to pray or read the Bible. How can you call the church zealous? But I do. I think in a certain light the church can be seen to be very zealous for all manner of things, and, it's, and this is a problem because it's not only the, one of the problems that we are most able to control, but because we don't recognize zeal as a problem. It's one of those problems we least try to control. We don't even bother to put our own zeal in check. Now. To demonstrate this problem of zeal, I'll I'll use myself as an example, and I'm going to use my past self, recognizing that this is dangerous, but I'll ask that you not judge past me too harshly. Maybe, just maybe, you were young too once, (laughs) and maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to see in young me a mirror for your own zeal, your own experience of this problem. Back in middle school, when I was in confirmation, I had all kinds of questions, but I often wondered why my pastor didn't sell all of his possessions and give to the poor. I wondered this about my parents. I wondered this about the people in the pews. I wondered this about everybody. Look, it's it's really clear in Scripture, isn't it? Sell all your possessions, give to the poor. It's what you should do. In my zeal, I judged them. I was passionate. I was sure." Couldn't it be? Could it be any clearer? Why don't they do better? I asked. Or in high school, see, in high school I was regularly attending adult Bible study. The youth group was rather small. It was a youth group of two. So I was regularly attending adult Bible study, and I quickly learned that I knew more about the Bible than many of the adults in the room. I was proud, as I thought, shouldn't a lifetime of Bible study lead to more knowledge than this, more Bible reading than this? Why aren't these Christians more faithful and more faithful Bible readers? Or setting aside high school experience and the naivete of a high schooler, being in seminary, sitting in the pews after a couple years of training, wondering, man, wouldn't it be easier to make this sermon a little clearer? I think that one came back to bite me. (laughs) Or at church events, thinking this event could have been run better. It'd be so easy to fix this or this or this or this. Why didn't they fix it? I I wonder time and time again, and such judgments sound very naive in retrospect. I'm sure you think they're very naive too. But the thing about such judgments is they're painfully easy to make. Zeal is so easy. And the thing that makes it really difficult is such judgments are often true. Those things could have been better. I think every one of them could and should have been better. They could have tried harder. It's all true. But you know what's also true about these judgments? Well, they all started from a place of zeal. Zeal doesn't build up. Zeal doesn't help. It does nothing to build the church, but it's there, and it's masquerading as passion. And yet, when we begin to compare ourselves to others out of a place of zeal, that zeal can not only slip into comparison but into judgment. And when we begin to judge others, that judgment leads to either pride as we think, I'm better than them, or boasting as we think, I'm better than them, or despair as we wonder, why am I not better than them? These things don't build up the church. They create, they foster division, they don't help, and in our modern world, this 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 zeal problem, when you begin to think outside the box of a local Christian congregation is so obviously true, denominations tear each other apart. They they tear each other apart with their words, and comparison and criticism at every level is, is, is levied against that other group, you know. But even within denominations, Christians seek out better churches, better music experiences, better, better pastors, better Bible studies, rather than settling down in one. And then when you get to the level of the local church, you can find all manner of reason to say that zeal is causing problems. Now, as a quick aside, let me just say, if you, like old me, are ever sitting on the sideline, or maybe I should say young me, well, if you, if you are like young me or ever sitting on the sideline and thinking, this would be so easy to fix, just just a small thing to fix this problem, maybe, maybe you should get off the sidelines and go fix it. In the process, you'll, you'll do one of two things. You'll find out it was more complicated than you thought, and you'll gain an appreciation for the work that's being done, or you're Right? It was so easy to fix, and God puts you there to fix it. You might have the unique gifting to fix that problem in no time at all, and you're sitting on the sidelines. But again, that, that's an aside. In fact, it's, it's not the point of this message. It's not the point of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Those considerations are secondary, symptoms of the zeal problem, not the problem itself. For in Paul's day, unlike ours, the Corinthians weren't spoiled for choice. They they didn't have a church down the street with a better pastor, or a church down the street with, with better music, or a better children's program, or a better men's Bible study, and yet Paul still warned them about zeal and about strife. You might not be able to walk out your door and pick a better church just because you're tired of your current one, but but Paul still warns them about zeal and strife, and his words seem to say, look, you think as as you judge and compare that you're the Lord's warrior, that you're going to bat for Him, fighting the good fight, but you're harming the body of Christ. You're tearing it apart. So Paul asks the Corinthians, when one says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human as you vie for one side or the other? And it it reveals that that this zeal that leads people to say these things is ultimately selfish. It's a thing of the flesh. So, whether we are proud of our children's ministry or proud of our Bible study or proud boasting that our worship is old and relevant or boasting that our worship is new and relevant. Any such action demonstrates that we're operating from what Paul would call the flesh. And until we drop the boasting and the comparison, drop the zeal and the strife, we're behaving in merely human ways. Now, to be clear, zeal is not always selfish. It's not always wrong. Paul, I would argue, demonstrates zeal time and time again as he passionately warns and admonishes the Christians in Corinth in this very letter. It's not passion that is necessarily the problem. The problem is the way that our sinful flesh takes that passion and corrupts it, takes that zeal, and corrupts it into selfishness and pride and judgment and boasting. And when such things happen, Paul says, we are not directed by Christ's Spirit, but by the flesh. So, when such things happen, Paul points us again to Christ and His cross. Paul points us to Jesus. For the… Cross not only takes away our reason for for boasting and selfishness and pride, the cross takes away our reason for comparison and zealousness in the first place. None of those things that we do, those things that we're proud of, have any meaning for ourselves. They only matter for Christ's church. We don't get to boast in them at all because it's always Christ at work, whether in Paul or Apollos or any church ever since. He does this so much so that though the Corinthians want to be strong and wise, Paul Paul calls himself weak and foolish and hungry and thirsty. He even calls himself poorly dressed later in 1 Corinthians 4. He says he's a spectacle to all the world, and then then he tops it all off by calling himself the scum of the earth and the refuse of all things. I particularly like the NIV translation, which says not that he's refuse, but that he's garbage. Paul calls himself Among a people who want to be good and better and best, Paul calls himself garbage. And not only that, but he says this is a model for our faith. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Or to go back to the Old Testament way of saying it, all those righteous things that we do, Isaiah says, those are filthy rags. They're not worth comparison because Paul isn't comparing himself to the church down the street. He's not comparing his work to the work of of Peter or Apollos. Paul compares himself to Christ, and in so doing, Paul sees more clearly than any of them. In Christ, Paul sees perfection, and in himself? what well, Paul sees garbage in comparison and he says though he doesn't quite say it in these words well you're garbage too but the good news is well you are Christ's garbage and because you are Christ's garbage you are of great value he says You are Christ's, and Christ is God's, and this is not because of anything you have done. You have no reason to boast, no reason for pride, but it's only because of Christ claiming you and then dying the death that you deserve, the garbage death that you deserve on the cross, that you are now worth more than garbage. In fact, given all of the riches that Christ deserved, everything you do now after this is built on His foundation, by His power, by His Spirit, and when you do good, it's His Spirit at work in you. When you do evil, well, that comes from your own flesh. So, though our flesh may push us to worry and concern, the Spirit pushes us to rest in Jesus. Though our flesh may push us to comparison, And to boasting, the Spirit pushes us to build up the body of Christ and to think less of ourselves and more of others. Though the flesh may push us to zeal and strife and everything that they lead to, the Spirit pushes us to unity and faith and peace. And all of these things are found only in Christ, unity in Christ, faith that He will accomplish the purposes He has for us, maybe even in spite of us, and peace that comes from knowing the work is done, and in that knowing, that the, knowing the very peace that passes all understanding, which will guard your hearts and minds in the same Christ Jesus our Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we compare ourselves to the people around us, it's so easy to find reasons for zeal and judgment, pride, and even despair. Help us not to make these comparisons, but to compare ourselves to Christ and in Him find the truth that we are nothing compared to Jesus and that all that we have, all that we are, and all that we do is thanks to Him. Help us in this not to despair, but to find the hope that comes from knowing the promises of Christ's cross for us. Forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation is one for us in Him. Help us in these promises to join in the work of Your kingdom, and in so doing to bring You the glory that You are due. These things we
0: pray in Jesus' name. Amen.